Greetings, dear listener. This is Ian McKenzie. The following is a conversation recap for our Pandemic is a Prism series, where Zamir and I harvest our reflections after each session. It is recommended you listen first to the full episode with the guest, and then come here afterward. Enjoy. Welcome. Welcome, good people. I am here. Well, first, my name is Ian McKenzie, and I'm the co-host of The Gathering of Stories, The Prism. The pandemic is a prism. And I'm joined here by my fearless co-host, Zamir Donji. <laughs> Great to be here with, with everyone out there. <laughs> and uh, this conversation or this recap series came about, I think, partly because we were chatting after uh, in the conversation that we had. Most recently, our first conversation with uh, author Charles Eisenstein felt so rich and stirring that we felt it important perhaps that we actually have a moment to reflect upon the conversation, yeah. you know, bring out a little of what, what was stirred for us, what's still with us. And so this is about a half hour max um, offering to, yeah, to offer a reflection on that episode. And if you tuned into that episode, um, you are welcome to also add your comments uh, on the, on the, wherever you are on Facebook or on YouTube, and maybe we could weave some of that in. Uh, and if you have not uh, connected with the episode yet i'm just gonna oh i'm gonna put it in the um chat box as well so yeah, kind of like digesting a really tasty meal right like we have this big feast with the person we're talking with and we're like oh well you know we're digesting it we're just gonna help people digest it and the great thing is that even if you weren't able to to hear the talk we're gonna you know tease out some really important points that will still nourish you and then if you find it inspiring go back to the website and then access it yeah. So how about, Zamir, why don't you give us an initial overview of that episode, just to give us a, a sort of yeah taste of what it was? Oh, throwing it on me now, eh? Okay. Yep. Um, well, I mean, Charles uh, helped us to look at some bigger pictures, which is what he does so well. And uh, one of the things that we started with was looking at, like, at what are narratives and, and, and how do they form? Um, and then we started talking about some of his recent articles that he posted uh, mom mentality in the unvaxxed was sort of the most contentious one. And one thing that he started to explain to us was really about how mob dynamics form. And essentially, you know, when we look back throughout history, we always like to think that, oh, well, we would never repeat something like that again, because we're, we're more conscious or we're more evolved. But, you know, what he was pointing to is that there's these archetypal forces within the subconscious and that they, they will come out in times where they're provoked by the right circumstances or events. And uh, what's happening right now with, with COVID, um, the intense pressure of this crisis, um, in some cases, the trauma it's even created for people, uh, whether it's through loss of jobs or loss of freedoms, lockdowns, isolations, the constant bombardment of fear in, 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 in the news, what happens is that it, it brings these uh, subconscious forces up to play. And one of the things that he talked about in mob dynamics was sort of the need for a scapegoat, a dehumanized subclass that would be um, perfect to sort of place upon or foist upon some of the frustrations and the blame when solutions are not arising or working. And he started to draw some parallels between that and the people who are declared to be the anti-vaxxers. And uh, he started to to, to, to touch on that. I don't know, Ian, if you want to want to chime in there. Hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, it was rich territory. I mean, there's a lot of threads that we we explored. And 
you know, again, I recommend anybody who didn't get a chance to access it yet to, to follow the link and, and watch the whole conversation in the future. I think a couple of key points, though, that I thought would be useful to, to spend a bit more time on. Uh, one was the, uh, the threat of cognitive dissonance, which, yeah. Zamir, you identified, which yeah. I think is a key piece of this conversation. Just to name as well, some of the initial feedback we got on the conversation was quite um, moving, actually. Like I'll say that I think um, I, I would almost characterize or I'd almost feel some of the responses that were really appreciative. It fe felt uh, it said that just having the space where they could actually name that level of cognitive dissonance, of which you can maybe speak to in a second, yeah. but, like this intuitive sense of like, like something's off. Like, and I don't, you know, I don't quite know what it is or, or the stories that are put forth that say this is what it is um, maybe aren't as satisfying either. Like you don't have to go all the way down certain rabbit holes into quote you know conspiratorial conspirituality territory just to know that for a lot of people it does feel off right and to not be able to have that space to say hey this feels off and I don't know where to talk to because you're immediately labeled as you know quote anti-vaxxer. Um, well, that's what he said. It's part of the mob dynamic approach uh -huh. as well, which is also that you know we tend to want to go along with what you know, the sense of conformity with what other people are believing. And the more that we speak out against it, the more uncomfortable it is when it goes against the mainstream. And this can exist on both sides, right? People might be, you know, looking at the viewpoints of anti-vaxxers and see where it gets a little bit extreme. And they're trying to say like, hey, you know what? You know, there's certain things that I stand in that may be aligned with you, but I don't necessarily agree with the entirety of that viewpoint, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, they happen on both sides. And, and this is where cognitive dissonance can start to to kick in as well mm. well i'd love for you to share a little bit of a story around uh, your time working in a magic shop i believe yeah so I i'm just going to give a little definition here of cognitive dissonance it's it's a term for the state of discomfort when two more modes of thought are contradicting each other right mm -hmm. and they can include you know a perception of contradictory information and it filters into your actions your feelings your ideas and beliefs okay and uh, the story that I was telling Ian is I remembered after this talk with Charles that my first job application when I was in university at NYU was uh, for a toy store called FAO Schwartz. And um, it was hard for me to find a job with this particular skill I developed, which was magic, slate of hand magic. And I got in at a pretty, pretty decent level, enough to go to apply for this job where I would be able to sell magic kits in this play store. So I go in for the interview and uh, as I'm sitting there in the interview, the guy's explaining to me, okay, this is what the job's about. He tests out my magic abilities. He says, okay, let me tell you um, how you're going to be really good at selling magic tricks. He says, you got to create something in the customers uh, called cognitive dissonance. Okay. This thing that I just uh, explained to you, which is the state of discomfort where two or more modes of thought contradict each other. And he shared with me when I have a customer, how I give them a sense of what would happen if, say, they're buying this magic kit for their child, what would happen if their child got this kit? And what would be the benefits? They would grow in self-confidence. They would learn skills with their hands and how to be able to communicate with people. And then how this would then, you know, lead on in their life to make them more, uh, better off when they're doing presentations at work or in university. And then what would happen if they imagine if they didn't develop this skill set, right? And what the consequences might be of not having that. And 
when that person walks away, they're now going to have this sense of, wow, wait a minute, maybe I do need to get this, right? Because my values say that this is what I want for my child and this is how, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it would be beneficial to them. And there's this sense of now if something's being offered to me that can help to realize that, then it would be silly for me not to, to go and to purchase it. And so as they're walking away and they're processing this, many, very often they'll come around and they'll come and buy this magic kit that they actually didn't really need in the first place. <laughs> this situation of conflict was never in them. But now that you've put it in their mind, the dissonance will cause them to go back and to potentially purchase a kit. I thought, wow, mm. there's no way I'm working for this company. Mm. And so I didn't take the job, even though I really wanted it, because I couldn't bear the thought of, you know, manipulating people. And this is something that is known and something that is practiced, right, in the corporate world, in the political world, um, and, and, and something pe people should be aware of, right? Well, it's interesting, too, because when I think of um, my understanding of cognitive dissonance, particularly around um, sort of, I don't know they call it different realities, you know, without being too esoteric, is that, you know, when you're presented with alternate information, and, and you have a certain existing worldview or a certain belief structure that it actually asks a lot to be willing to step outside your existing belief structure to let information in. Yeah. Um, because there is a disposition and I'd say like a natural disposition in, in humans and in, in our ability to connect within our, you know, existing peer groups or social groups to maintain a certain level of shared understanding. And so, yeah, the, the, the cognitive dissonance there is often experienced as very uncomfortable and so one has to do either two things. It has to either collapse reality in back into their story that they understand um, because it's too difficult, right? And then from there on become somewhat more impenetrable to information or, or possibilities outside of that worldview. Um, or they're willing to actually consider that other possibilities might be true as well. Yeah. Uh, and therefore need to, um, in some sense, relinquish that uh, you know, fortified belief structure. Can you tease so, that out as an example of how that shows up in the current um, climate with COVID? Well, I mean, one could easily apply that, though, to the sense of, um, you know, again, essentially this trust in the medical system or trust in the, the medical, rational, uh, intellectual, demythologized story or mythology that's presented that, again, this is a virus, it's just happening. We need to make war with it until, you know, it's totally wiped out and then you know, humans can continually strive triumphantly into the future is sort of the, you know, crystallization of the dominant story. But then as soon as one opens, cracks open the door to quote, you know, alternate theories um, and possibilities, I mean, it is dangerous in the sense because yeah, you immediately invite in a vast, you know, plethora of, you know, uh, alt theories that can go quite far. But the danger of course, is if any deviation from the mainstream is suddenly branded as, oh, that's clearly anti-vax then you're dismissing actually a lot of possibilities that could actually be useful to, um, to, to invite in and to actually wonder about, right? Um, for example, like, I mean, you can say pharmaceuticals and their shady behavior, uh, you know, throughout forever <laughs> and the different uh, lawsuits that have come against, you know, Pfizer and others for um, selling, you know, uh, uh, pharmaceuticals and have had negative effects or even just government collusion with industry. Like all of those things are true 
And yet what's asked in this scenario is that the, the vaccine, for example, all of the stuff about the mainstream story of the vaccine is accurate and true and it's good for you. Like, as in, that's a bit of a leap of, a, a strong leap of uh, trust that, you know, in all these other ways, these, these, these industries uh, and government have not been trustworthy. But in this way, no, they're trustworthy and you should trust them. Like, yeah, totally. Right. So that's a, that's a, a kind of ask a kind of cognitive dissonance. And there's, there's, there's even very, you know, uh, simple, plain ones where, you know, for example, you go to a hospital and uh, you see the kind of food that they serve and it's almost poison, right? My grandfather would be in the hospital and we would even complain to them because he get white bread and jello and some mm. really poor quality meat or whatever it is. And you're like, wait a minute, they're feeding them poisons, but this is a place of health, right? And they're coming there to heal. And that kind of discomfort is there in the system, but we tend to just kind of go along with it. And that's mm -hmm. so common, right? I mean, it happens in, in mandates here in BC where, you know, uh, the other day I was in the supermarket and I saw a woman who worked at a restaurant and I, and I asked her, oh, uh, do, are they doing the vaccine uh, passport there? And she says, yeah, they are. Um, are you vaccinated? She says, no, I'm not. And she says, okay, but you're able to work there, but everybody who else who comes there has to be vaccinated, right? And she's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right? Mm. That, that, but, but yet you just have to go on as if like, well, somehow it makes sense, right? Mm. And there's lots of things that happen that we just, as we chug along trying to figure things out, we put stuff in place and rules that at, on the other hand have contradictory aspects to them. And there's so many areas in which this is playing out and it's causing conflict in both sides of the situation mm. for people. Well, this, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the, well, just like a direct interaction too, because I do think this is to me one of the hardest things is that often anecdotally, particularly around people's um, either direct connection to, or maybe one degree of separation from those people who have had adverse reactions to the vaccines, uh, you know, that just, it, it just seems like it's vastly underreported um, for whatever reason. And maybe there's different reasons for that. So again, the cognitive dissonance of like, but they're saying it's pr pretty much fine. And yet I'm hearing all these stories. Um, but I'll say one other example I brought up in the interview around this thread in the quote, anti-vax of this, uh, my body, my choice scenario, right? This idea of reclaiming a kind of medical sovereignty is sometimes what's used. And I thought it was fascinating that I had a, a friend who was chatting and he recently injured his hand. This is maybe about a month ago and he had to have it in a cast. And so he shared about, he was frustrated that day because he went to the hospital. This is here in uh, BC. He went to the hospital and he said uh, he thought the cast was being removed. That was the appointment that he thought was being made. But he got there and the surgeon, you know, went, came in for like 10 seconds and was like, oh yeah, you need a week. Anyway, see you in a week. And uh, barely looked at him, didn't ask, you know, you know, how's, how's the rest of your life doing or how are you doing? Or, you know, it just felt very faceless and anonymous or just a... Uh, uh, statistic of like, oh yeah, this is what this is. Like seeing only the the symptom that need fixing or something, right? And he his whole reaction, of course, of like anger and frustration. Not not necessarily this professional, but later on to be like, why did I just get the runaround and now I got to go back? I spent a whole day in travel. And I thought, and I said this to him, I was like, oh, that's really interesting because that feels like a microcosm of this resistance as a whole to a, this large bureaucratic social institution um, called medical you know, uh, support or medical services, depending on where you are, which again, you are largely seems to be uh, sort of a faceless um, sort of, yeah, uh, symptom or, or, or thing that needs fixing. And so in that sense as well, being asked to rely upon that model or these experts, let's say for your own personal health, I can see why that 
this thread within this largely within the quote anti-vax movement is this idea of reclaim your own connection to yourself because you know what's best for you and like you know what the right food is to eat and you know like again i'm not saying it's fully 100 percent, but i understand the reaction to it yeah well what's interesting is what we touched upon a bit with the talk with charles is really how um our narrative organizes uh meaning around experiences that we have right? Experience uh -huh. that we have in our environment or our life form how we see these situations, right? How we form events in life and perceptions. And that, you know, the, the, there is a type or a kind of people who've had certain experiences or ways that they live their life that make them less prone to trusting a medical establishment or taking the vaccine, right? Which also makes them more biased away from sources that are trying to provide them encourage them to take the vaccine or to trust in medical establishment, right? And that these both go, that they go both ways, essentially, right? That, that we have to become conscious of our biases and the, our experiences, right? And how they inform what we choose to trust or not trust. And, and mm -hmm. both sides of the situation need to do this. And you will notice that there's very clear, I've noticed a subclass of people who are not prone to get the vaccine, that are not necessarily anti-vaccine, but they're also the kind of people that probably haven't been to the hospital or doctor in a long time. They're way more natural health oriented, right? They have resistances or mistrust in government authority in general, right? So, you know, there's a, you know, such people are less prone to be able to take in, um, you know, this, these mainstream narratives that we're talking about. Well, it's interesting. I want to bring up now, again, another example. You touched upon the mob, uh, the mob dynamics earlier as well. And I would say overall, this um, threat of dehumanization, which is something, again, like if anything, I think this is what Charles was warning about in the series, is that, you know, whatever the negative outcome outcomes lead to, it, it starts with or involves this process of dehumanization. Um, and I was reading an article, I think yesterday, there was some NBA player, as, somewhere in the US, I think, who was uh, came out, you know, he is, he was denied religious exemption from not, not getting the vax. And uh, I was just reading reports about that. And it was really interesting because there was one report, it might have been, oh, it was on like a, a sort of more well-known blog, um, a, a sports blog. And the author was scathing in his judgment of this basketball player. Like he literally said, oh, you know, here, here's this player, you know, welcome to stupid town, uh, down idiot street like all of this languaging that clearly said, you know, any, any resistance to the vaccine is clearly, you know, just stupid. You're not intelligent, um, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that, that's not uncharacteristic. I'm saying of what gets leveled often at the anti-vaxxers. Whereas again, I see some ways a similar dynamic going the other direction. Absolutely. But, yeah. But it's very ways. dangerous. It's very dangerous not to see that at play. Yeah, again, regardless of what, whatever, whoever believes, because it also banishes, again, like what are the perspectives that are vital or what are the ingredients that are vital for a holistic understanding of the moment? Well, yeah. And just before we, we, we started, you were, we'll go into this with Stephen Jenkinson, you said, but how, you know, that e if you go too far to either side of the extreme, they come and they meet each other and you realize mm -hmm. that, wait a minute, we're actually not that far different. So it's being mindful not to go to ext those extremes. Because when you do, look, it brings you both into a place of, of conflict. And that judgment is really a judgment of something that you don't like about in yourself, just reflected in a different way, right? And this is, this is important for us to see. And, and maybe we can touch upon the religious subject too. 
Well, this, but this answers the question too that you you just responded to. That how is it? And this came up actually uh, right at the end of our conversation with Charles, but was asked in the in the Facebook group. Um, you know, how is it? How does one contend with, for example, maybe they consider themselves more on the, I don't know, let's say the the natural health or the progressive left in some ways. Uh, all of a sudden, finding a, an odd kinship with the far right and you know Trump supporters and this and that. And she was really, it was a sincere question. Like, how does that, you know, how how do I sit with that? Um, And that's, I guess, in some ways, what you were just responding to and what uh, Stephen Jenkinson had said, I'd mentioned in a previous talk recently he gave, um, not specifically around this thing, but uh, certainly around the idea that the extremes bend back towards each other. And in that sense, you know, I, I see why in, if the main quote middle, let's say, generally goes along with, the cultural, um, mythological uh, story, right? Again, I'm not saying for better or for worse. If that generally those who go along, then it's the fringes, of course, that are in somewhat opposition or resistance or skepticism, all of a sudden find themselves on the out, right? And then suddenly, again, by being on the out, find themselves kind of uh, in kin Join. as outsiders, yeah. right? And so, yeah, so, so it is an odd jostling together. Um, and the question comes to me too as well is, and again, the the need to create this solidified uh, core of people that are like going along with it, you know, again, f- for better or for worse, in a way generates the resistance of the outsiders, right? Because it's not like the amount of people that were probably loosely skeptical or maybe just unclear, all of a sudden are now lumped in with a very, quote, clear group called the anti-vaxxers. And they're like, wait, what? Like, I'm not... I don't believe half of what these other people believe, but now I'm in that group too. And that again is a dangerous precedent to, to begin setting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It can totally be the case. And also there's times where you'd be surprised at where um, values are shared across groups of people that otherwise you would see as very different from you. Yeah. And that's what can be very fascinating. Right. And, and I, and I, when I commented on our post that, you know, you sometimes people are here to support or defend you where before you might have viewed them as enemies and collapsing those differences can be an interesting journey in what Charles kind of spoke Mm -hmm. of as humility. Uh Humility is needed at this time, which means to understand that other people's narrative or viewpoint comes from their experiences and their circumstances. Mm. And that if we were to look and say, ah, what circumstances would lead you to see things this way, to act or speak in this way, to make you believe in this way, and maybe even why you would feel threatened when it was challenged? And the process, we can have more empathy. And if we can do that on both sides, it really helps us to have a harmonious navigation through this process, because that's what's needed, right? Mm-hmm. Conflict is inevitable, but how we adjust and deal with that conflict, that determines our evolution and maturity as you know, a society or as a species, right? Well, I'd love to offer then, I know we're, we're sort of heading to close-ish, um, just we want to keep these lean recaps, um, is an email that I received actually from a listener, which was profound. And, and I've shared it with Zamir as well. And I'll paraphrase a little bit, um, just because I think it was so, uh, captured it, so much of the intent of actually what the series is for. But it spoke about how there was this, uh, uh, a couple, married couple, they're both, uh, medical surgeons, or they, they, I believe they both, you know, are in that medical realm. And one was very much, um, you know, on the side of just had a lot of questions and wonderings and 
wasn't sure how to proceed um, by by lots of experience and lots of in, you know research and and all the rest. And her partner was very much on the side of like pro. You know, you, this is we need to do this, we have to do this. That's what it seemed to be. And uh, she shared that she had been listening to the uh, the episode with Charles. And then I suppose he was in the room or it kind of caught wind a little bit and came over actually to, to tune in. And they both, I suppose, pretty quickly through whatever it was that we invited into that space, suddenly found the ability to connect once again with each other, to bridge that great divide as we, we've been speaking to. She said they we, held hands and they cried with each other, you know? Ex- yeah, they held hands in a web. Connection. Yeah. yeah. In this case, within a couple that, again, that's such a microcosm of so many relationships and, and families and social groups that have felt this this great divide between them and and something in the way that we invited in that kind of conversation that approach created the space to find contact again i mean that's how i would that uh, how i would say it and so in that sense i just thought it was a really great uh, affirmation that whatever it is that we're doing here seems to serve a purpose and um, you know it privilege to be able to bring it and to hear from you who who have been touched by this and mm-hmm. You know, again, without needing to say that our outcome is is a particular, you know, answer to these moments or to this time, but that by inviting in this prismatic um, approach, you know, inviting in these different people to, who carry different perspectives, that maybe, yeah, maybe we can maintain whatever, however we navigate these times, and remain in contact uh, with each other. And yeah. I think as Charles ended the conversation last time, he said, um, you know, something like maybe messy or maybe maybe hold the messiness well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, one thing I remember sharing in that was my grandfather's story and his life's message of truth and tolerance, both um, having been through the partition in India, mm-hmm. he left what is now Pakistan and uh, his life was at risk and his family, young brothers and sisters, uh, all because of their religious belief. And he's, he always expressed us the importance of tolerance. And he really embodied and represented that because he saw the consequence of when that tolerance is lost and how far things can go when we hold a religious ID, ideal. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the religions today, the need for that kind of certainty in things that we don't really see or understand and another group interprets it for us hasn't left us, right? And that that exists both in the world of science and the axioms that it provides and also in the world of what is being called conspiracy, right? But when it goes into conspirituality and, and those needs are being met and they're conflicting really strongly on the edges of things and humans have always gravitated towards it. Mm-hmm. So we have to really learn to wake up and to be able to understand how it is that we come to align with truth in ourselves. And we spoke about what truing was. And this is, we have to be tolerant of other people's views in the process. And this upcoming talk with Elizabeth Saturis, we're really going to look at more the axioms of science and how you can also have a spiritual worldview and a scientific worldview that's Mm -hmm. rooted in a holistic understanding of evolution and our place in the larger dance of Gaia and how that mythically can provide us a viewpoint in which we can see the, the opportunities this situation is providing, right? Mm. Which will be very fascinating. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And to say that the, in, in some ways, I think that the orbit of the conversation or, or uh, paradigms that center the human drama only, 
I think are, are fundamentally limited actually, right? Because from within that centrality of the human narrative uh, that we don't see ourselves as embedded in front of a, a much larger story that's unfolding, right? Yeah. Which is so much the challenge of the Anthropocene of which it has this term, this era has been called that, the era of the human. Um, and Everything there's something really, around us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if we look for responses of like, what's going on simply within the human realm, then we're missing such a vast uh, territory. You know, it's like looking through a little tiny uh, tube at the story. And yet, actually, there's an entire universe out here and a story yeah. unfolding that we are part of, but not yeah. the reason for. Yeah, exactly. And that can either be empowering in a mythic way that embraces both the scientific and spiritual understanding of life, or it can be dogmatically scientific or dogmatic, but dogmatically conspiratorial. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to open the dialogue into this broader one that encourages and embraces a, a, a way forward of courageous optimism. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I'm uh, just dropping now the link to the Elizabeth's talk uh, in the chat. So if you are listening to this now and we'll share it around a little bit more on social, uh, feel free to connect. Um, you can get a pass to the specific talk, which happens tomorrow, 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, as well, you can access the Charles talk that we've um, already been speaking to, or also pre-purchase access to the entire series um, as we unfold over this next eight weeks or so. So again, uh, Zamir, pleasure to drop in with you. Yes, and everyone out there. Mm. And uh, yeah, what a journey. Excited to um, continue Please. on. Happy to see you tomorrow. Beautiful.